You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is sponsored by Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. The only herb blend endorsed by American folk duo Simon and Garfunkel. Greetings, listeners. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve, and I am the host of the podcast. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week I invite a guest who joins me on the podcast to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, before we meet our guest today, I want to do a little bit of vocabulary. Uh, We do vocabulary every now and then on the show, and this comes up. In fact, both plants we talk about today have this particular vocabulary as part of their characteristics, and that word is racine. So first, let me just read the uh, Merriam-Webster definition of racine. That is spelled R-A-S-E-M-E. It actually looks like race me, which is kind of (laughs) cool. Hey, race me. Um, But no, it's pronounced racine. And... uh, The definition, according to Merriam-Webster, is a simple inflorescence, as in lily of the valley, in which the flowers are borne on short stalks of about equal length and at equal distances along an elongated axis and open in succession toward the apex. That's a lot of words, but basically it's an inflorescence, as you remember on another episode, is is where the flowers come, so uh, inflorescence often has multiple flowers. It can only be one, but often has multiple. For example, of an inflorescence is on the sunflower. That whole big sunflower is actually made up of hundreds of little tiny flowers. So the sunflower part, the whole thing we call the sunflower is the inflorescence, and the little florets in the middle are actually the flowers. But in the case of a raceme, you have this um, elongated stem, and coming off of that stem are other smaller stems, and at the end of those smaller stems are the flowers. And that whole thing is the inflorescence and is the raceme. Uh, I think a good example of a plant that we all know and we talked about on a previous episode of the show that has a raceme is the hyacinth. That that uh, inflorescence of the hyacinth is a raceme. So that's raceme. Uh, getting to the etymology of the word is pretty interesting. It comes from the Latin word uh, racemus or racemus, racemus. Uh, I'm not really good at pronouncing Latin, but it's uh, R-A-C-E-M-U-S. And that means a bunch of grapes, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is uh, grapes do not have a raceme. Their flower cluster is a different thing, which I'm actually not sure what it is, but it's not a raceme. Um, but also racemus, a raceme, that etymology has given us another very common plant-related word. So raceme also, or racemus, is also where we get the word raisin. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Thanks for having me. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yes, I do. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about common mullein, um, the scientific name for Bascom thapsus. Awesome. Okay. This is very exciting. I know what mullein is. I've seen it. And I 
think there's some really interesting stuff about it that are in the back of my brain, but I'm not sure if I'm confusing it with other things. So I'm really excited to hear about Mullen today. And I think there's some that always grows across the street from my, my house. Uh, so, uh, But hey, I, don't, I don't know much about it. So let's talk about uh, Mullen. What, yeah, well, first of all, why did you choose it? Why is, it, why is Mullen meaningful to you? Yeah, good question. I mean, it really, I think, was one of the first plants that I knew the scientific name of. And um, actually, it was the first research project that I did um, ever, which was quite, yeah, just kind of sticks with me and for that reason. Very cool. So say that, uh, that scientific name one more time. Verbascum thapsus. Ah, that's a good one. It's not, it's not a genus name uh, I've heard very much. Um, well, I will see. Do we want to talk about the name a little bit first? Or do you want to talk about that research project you did? Because I'm curious about both those things. Yeah, let's, let's start with the research project. Sure. So um, this research project, it was a part of my um, ecology class, one of the ecology classes I took. And we were tasked with the job of, we were had our just some time to be out in the field on, on a mountain slope. And we, yeah, our professor was told us, you know, go out, observe just the natural world and sit there for a little bit. And then, you know, after a day, come up with some group. It didn't have to be about plants. It could have been about animals or some other different processes. But um, just because of it was in April and, you know, the weather, like, you know, the plants are really the only things that were kind of noticeable. There were a couple of birds, but it was really the plants that were starting to pop off at that time that me and my partner decided to, um, yeah, kind of stick into the plant realm. And yeah, the crazy thing was the mountain that we were on was just about 10 years ago was in a fire. So um, mm. it had still a burn scar and you could see some moderate parts of it that were like some moderate burn um, severity areas, some high severity, as well as some low severity regions. And through hiking around on the mountain, we started to see this this really fuzzy plant and sometimes in some big quantities that we, we were like, this is almost a forest of just this one plant hmm. in some parts of the forest. And that was little, lo and behold, mullen that, that we kept seeing around. And was that the kind of thing when you're like just getting started, you didn't know what it was and so that was part of the process of like learning what it is and learning about it? Correct. Yep. Yeah, I had nothing to know about um, the plant at the time. <laughs> very, very interesting. Okay. Well, that that's yeah. That's a. Uh, I think I've been on that journey a bunch of like being like, what is this plant? I've not seen that before, and and trying to figure it out. And it's, I think it's a lot easier now with like apps and everything that can like identify plants. But still, it is <laughs> trying to fun to figure it out in other ways. Um, so tell me about the. Tell me what do you know about the names of the plant? I mean, both the scientific name and also this name, Mullen. Yeah, so on my during my research of, of the plant, there really wasn't much about the um kind of the reason why Mullen was named like the scientific name for Bascom thapsis. Um with the, the genus name for Bascom, I really couldn't find anything about it. But um the um the epithet, the species epithet thapsis, there was a little bit um of information about it which I really feel like I can't talk too much about. But sure, I would sure. recommend viewers to go on Wikipedia. There's a little blurb about it. But it's something about um, back in ancient Greek, it being like thapos, meaning something with um, something with like folk medicine remedies. 
Interesting. Interesting. I, I, yeah, we're never afraid on this podcast to say, audience, you can just Google it because, you know, we never <laughs> no one knows everything. Very, very interesting. Um, so is this a plant that is originally from Europe? Correct. Yep. It is. Um, you can find it natively in temperate areas of Europe, Africa, as well as Asia. Very interesting. And then, of course, I guess it has made its way over here like many other plants. Most certainly. And kind of going back to the species epithet, some of the reasons why um, folks think um, mullein kind of came out to North America is because of its medicinal um, benefits that it has. Interesting. Um, yeah, what, what, what are some of those? Oof, I could talk <laughs> the rest of the podcast about them because <laughs> there are so many um, yeah, different things. So um, let's see. So it's been used as a traditional medicine in a various different ways. So the use of extracts are one way, um, as well as infusions. And one of the first ways that uh, reasons why I heard about um, mullein was due to its like respiratory um, benefits that it has through um, the use of like smoking the herb. Mm. It's kind of a yeah a medicine for any ailments with asthma or any just pulmonary. Um, issues that you're having we we will say and that, that's always very interesting i think the medicinal quality of plants is super fascinating we always just have to say uh, uh disclaimer to the audience you know make sure you really know what you're doing with a wild plant and and it, you know ingesting anything as medicine is not something we travel with make sure you always consult with you know <laughs> actual medical professional and uh, a lot of these plants are i mean the, the, the medicinal history is so fascinating and it often comes to a time when people didn't know the scientific reasons, but also people had this like really deep cultural understanding of plants that y you can't really discount. And I think it's a very complicated thing for us today to like uh, reckon with, right? Of like what is good medicine, not. But that said, we're going to talk about medicine, and even the plant I'm going to talk about has a very interesting kind of medicinal quality. But full disclaimers: uh, <laughs> root band does not endorse the use of any plant that's on you, audience. <laughs> yes, that is that is important to say. And also to, to be said that there aren't any real medicines that are using any compounds from mullein today mm. in, in kind of the Western medicine. But mm -hmm. um, it's also used by indigenous tribes such as the Zuni people um, as through the use of the powdered root for sores, rashes, and skin infections. Oh, so wow. there's a lot of different, yeah, different kind of methods of um, use of, of mullein. Very, very interesting. Um, what, what else you got? What other fun facts and dazzling details you have about mullen? Hmm, well, I, as, as a botanist, love flowers. Like That is the thing that brings me the most joy. So I got things to be said about the inflorescence, so the kind of the flowering stalk of the plant, as well as um, the arrangement of those flowers. So... Mullen, it's it's kind of a pretty characteristic plant. If you once you know exactly what it is, you'll be seeing it everywhere. At least in the United States, it's in I think all fifty states. And the crazy thing about mullen is that it is um, similparous or monocarpic. Those two terms mean the same, which means that the plant once it flowers once, that whole individual dies. Mm. And so lots of plants that are similparous um, kind of have this big bang kind of reproductive event where they have multiple flowers and then they kind of, yeah, put all their energy into that um, reproductive event right there. And that's it. Kind of like salmon um, is kind <laughs> of an animal 
comparison. Good, good, yeah, good analogy there. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so the crazy thing about the um, the inflorescence, the flowering stalks of mullen, is that they have give or take about a hundred flowers on average, and these flowers are, are decently sized. You know, about about um, kind of like the size of a raspberry. Okay. Uh huh. And um, they're this beautiful yellow with some with some kind of spots for maybe pollinator attraction, kind of like that landing mm-hmm. <laughs> um, runway situation. But I think the best part about mullen is past the flowering part into the fruiting stage of of the of the individual, because um, mullen can can produce over one hundred thousand seeds per individual plant. Whoa, that is a ton. <laughs> It is. No wonder it's spread everywhere. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And they're quite light um, as well. So they're, you know, they're, they, they can disperse a little bit. They don't really have any appendages or anything wings to take flight. So a lot of the seeds fall really close to the plant, Uh but the seed bank is one of the most impressive parts about mullen um, because seeds can last about a hundred years, just dormant. Whoa. Wow. Mm -hmm. Man. I always, I always like to, when, I mean, there's so many facts about plants that it's really interesting to think about, like, uh, if humans had the same capacity, you know, and if like somehow humans could be dormant for like a hundred years and then just pop up and be like, hi, <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Most certainly. Wow. Yeah. We'd be even more dangerous than we yeah. are right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. But that kind of ties into where you can find mullen and disturbed habitats is usually the spot where mullen thrives the best. Because once there's that open space, any seeds that have been cached in that seed bank really pop off once there's that abundant sun um, sunlight. Interesting, interesting. So you'll so like what you were describing at the beginning of this mountainside full of it. You know, all these other plants had died, but somehow one or two mullins got there, and I guess you know, pretty quickly they can spread all over a whole mountainside. That's very fascinating. Correct. Yeah, especially in like yeah. Just like fire, um, fire burn scars are a big place. Railroad tracks, if you're ever on the side of a road or, or driving, take a look out and you most likely see a couple of mullen here and there. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Hmm, let me think. Let me think what else to talk about in terms of the reproductive biology. Um, well, to get more slightly into the taxonomy first, so mullen is in the Scrofulariaceae. Oh, that's big a good word. word. <laughs> <laughs> big word doesn't mean that much, but if we kind of expand out in the taxonomy, so from going from just the individual species mullen to kind of the family, which is Scrofulariaceae, to the order that it's in, um, it's in the Lamiales, which is the mint order. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. So it kind of if you if you look at a mullen flower, which you know about the size of a raspberry, they're, they're kind of small. But once you really get up to it, you'll see that it has this this zygomorphic or kind of one plane of symmetry in mm. the flower, which is similar to you know if you've ever seen you you let your basil kind of grow really far, it'll have those kind of zygomorphic bilabiate, so kind of two, um, yeah, two sided. I love talking about this like vocabulary because one of the goals of my this podcast is for me to understand more of like that descriptive vocabulary of stuff. And so 
the audience can <laughs> the audience can't see this because this is a podcast. But uh, Josh is like showing with his hands what some of these things mean. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Uh, so <laughs> look at some of these up, and and uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm going to try to do a better job of defining some more of these as we go on the podcast. Because yeah, it's it's really interesting to be able to describe a plant and and understand what it looks like just with words. Which I think now that we can all take pictures with our phones all the time, it's no problem. But like you know, back in the day when people are like having to just write and describe plants, <laughs> plants that's super uh, important. Very very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and one um kind of on a side tangent, but. This YouTuber personality, just huge in the botany world, Joey Santore, who does Crime Pays But Botany oh, Doesn't. That guy's awesome. He, in I some of his guy. videos, he's always talking about different um, different plants and kind of the characteristics, like the, the botanical definition and term terminology. And that's been um, a really good resource for me to, you know, I've heard them before, but hearing them from a different person again and again has, has kind of solidified those uh that terminology in my head very interesting uh yeah i i should do that more i really love that guy's channel and audience if you haven't like watched his video this uh, crime pays but bonnie doesn't by a guy named joey centauri uh definitely do he it's really amazing he's got this like really thick chicago accent and uh just like super just engaging personality that like you said is kind of crass and just super fun to watch and just so knowledgeable but yeah i think that's just a great point a really great way to to try to learn all that complicated botanical terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of uh, moving on to a different topic about Mullen, it's more now I'll talk about like my hobby with the, with the plants. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Great. Oh, that's, that sounds exciting. So yeah, this is kind of a, kind of a goofy thing, but because it's in all 50 States and it can grow up to about two meters. So, you know, quite tall i've hmm. been now my new goal is to find the tallest mullen <laughs> oh cool how how far have you got now um so i've taken a couple pictures mostly i've seen the most in colorado but i've seen some plants in minnesota in vermont and massachusetts um as well as wisconsin very interesting. Um, I'm going to start looking for tall mullins too. I'll send you any pictures I find. I'm sure if there's some listeners out there, they might be sending some mullin pictures as well. That's that's a fun hobby. Perfect. I definitely never yep. seen a two meter one here though. The one across there's there's one that that well I guess it's not the same one because you said they die at the end of the year, but I guess it's the offspring across the street from my my house. There is always every year at least one mullin in the same spot, but it's never that tall. Mm. Yeah, I've seen some that are like taller than me, and I'm a, I'm about like six feet. Wow! And yeah, so yeah, I take a picture. I ask somebody. Well, <laughs> I set up like my, my camera, and so then that's my that's been my way of documenting. Not very systematic of a of a data collection style, sure. but you know, fun as a hobby. That is really fun. Um, okay, I I don't know what else you have in your list. There's there's uh, I think two things I definitely want to talk about with Mullen. One is, can you describe the leaves? The leaves are interesting, right? And may, tell the audience about those leaves. Yeah. So the leaves there, which is a really easy way to kind of identify this plant, is they're they're quite big and they're really fuzzy. They're mm-hmm. And they're fuzzy soft, like, right? Mm-hmm. A friendly softness that that you can touch them and you won't really be irritated by by the little like hairs or trichomes on, on the leaf surface. But that actually leads to one of the common names out in the West, which is cowboy toilet paper. 
<laughs> I, I can imagine why. Very soft. Um, yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it actually those the the leaves are quite interesting, and it, it ties into the weediness of the plant too. So um, herbivores don't like to graze on mullen. So in some situations where you know you got grazing lands, you'll see a lot of mullen popping up because yeah, the cows just don't want to eat it, and because of those, those like that thick hair um, covering it, they don't like spraying it with herbicides doesn't really do the job either. Clever plant. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So the other thing, I don't, I don't know if you have anything else on your list, but the one thing that comes to mind for me, and I wonder if, if you don't know anything about this, it's okay. Uh, but maybe you do. Uh, when I first heard about mullen, I was Googling around about weeds or whatever. And the thing I found about mullen is that, uh, it is an illegal way to go fishing. Have you heard this? I was reading something a little bit about this. Yeah. Like how it's toxic to fish. Yeah, I've, I've heard. And audience, don't do this <laughs> for sure because apparently it is illegal. But from what I what I understand is that uh, the seeds, if you like somehow gather the seeds and treat them in some way and sprinkle it in water, it will stun any fish in the area, which would then float to the surface and you can collect it. And obviously that is very illegal and unsustainable. Um, but it is apparently that there's stuff in the seeds that stuns fish, but is also not toxic to humans. So the fish are still edible. Uh, but yeah, it's like illegal in all 50 states. Any of that kind of like mass like fishing is not is legal, but it's a fascinating fact about this plant. Um and probably had some really interesting historical use, but yes, now don't do it. That's but yeah, that's that's the one thing that stuck in my brain about Mullen uh, is is that fact. <laughs> that is yeah, quite interesting. When I yeah, when I read that as well, it was, yeah, very good. Once well, again, such a cool plant for yeah, just various reasons. Yeah, uh, did did I miss any of your fun facts or dazzling details? Um. Not really. I mean, one last thing I'd want to say is in terms of my hobby, like I think there's some importance of with these cosmopolitan weeds of, you know, still taking pictures of them. If if you post on iNaturalist and you're out hiking and you like to, you know, iNaturalist is this citizen science website where you can post observations of plants, any type of living organism, you know, it could be animals, it could be fish. And um, the community can then use this data for their own research, as well as just kind of a, um, a resource for folks to understand the flora around their area. But I think it's important um, with, you know, a species that is so common to still take pictures of it because you could maybe start to elucidate, hey, it's really growing wild in this area. Let's start to think about some different conservation practices and like tackle this spot before really spreads anywhere else if you're out in you know a more wilderness type area um yeah yeah that, that's a really great great point i haven't you know i haven't like got into iNaturalist that much i really should i think you're gonna inspire me to do this i use the app seek which is like connected to iNaturalist but i've not done a lot of like the connecting and the data stuff but one i i should because i take a lot of pictures of plants and i should add data to like the world which is cool and two, I think you're, it's a really great point. Like those plants that become common to us, we probably just ignore when we see them. But in some ways, taking pictures of those plants like mullen that are, like you said, cosmopolitan weeds and can be problematic in areas, it's probably even more important to take pictures of those than maybe something that's a little bit more obscure because those, yeah, that's a really great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it could also, I mean, depending on if it's on a trail side, maybe some folks can see those observations and make that their own project of just pulling that mullein right on the trail. Yeah, or or taking pictures next to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Verbascum, they got the mullein even out there. It's everywhere. It's a, it's, it could be a really bad invasive, all right? But again, it's nice for toilet paper. Well, thank you for sharing about mullen with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I'd love to hear, yeah. So the plant that I chose, there's a plant that grows in my yard. Um, and I've done, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not really running out of plants in my yard yet, but I've done a lot of plants in my yard. But this is actually probably one of the most notable plants in my yard. But maybe, maybe like we were just talking about with mullen, it's one that I just kind of have ignored because it's not one I planted myself. It's one that was there um, when I when I moved in and it's kind of like the most dominant plant because we have multiple versions of them that they're everywhere. Um, and it's one that I've kind of just cast aside a little bit one, but one thing about this podcast is it makes me kind of rethink plants and maybe appreciate plants in a different way. Cause I have to, once you start thinking about a plant and reading about a plant, you learn all the cool stuff and, and then you find yourself just taking pictures next to them because <laughs> you get so, interested. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the plant I chose uh, is called cherry laurel. I don't know if you're familiar with this plant. Um, it's very common. It's a super common hedge plant, and that's how it's used in my yard. Um, I've got them on both the left and right sides of my backyard, a little bit on the back, and then a couple on the front. They're kind of all over, and it's a very common just landscaping uh, hedge plant. Um, and be, and it's and it's 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 common because it's an evergreen plant, but it has pretty big leaves, so it it really is like it looks nice and the, and it's always green and it's great for hedges and it grows quite big. Um, it's scientific name is, is, uh, which would be very easy to guess. I said, it's called cherry laurel and it's uh, scientific name is prunus laurosaurus. I'm sorry that I mispronounced that, but it basically it's like the laurel in the prunus genus, which audience, if you remember last week, we talked about, uh, prunus amygdalus, which is the almond. This is another prunus. Prunus is just an amazing genus. There's like so many plants that we interact with on a daily basis in the prunus genus. Um, and, and what's funny about the cherry laurel is that until just the other day when I decided to do it for this podcast, I didn't realize it was prunus. I was assumed it was a laurel, which is, which there is a whole family called the Lauraceae, and it's not in that family it's in the rosaceae rosaceae uh family with the prunuses so it it just wow. looks kind of like a laurel and so they call it a cherry laurel uh <laughs> but it is not in the same family so that's the plan i want to talk about it's it, in you know and it, it's it's pretty interesting um so like the rest of the prunus genus it has little droops fruits fruits that are droops um they're much smaller than um than uh than you know any like other um of those uh like plums or apricots or peaches or cherries um they grow on these and i think you mentioned the same word maybe not but it's similar they grow on uh on racemes the flowers so unlike other genuses they have these kind of long and the uh, the exact botanical word for getting to that is erect axillary and terminal racemes so they kind of stick up and there's these taller kind of like uh, shafts uh, with flowers coming on all age, uh, sides of it. And they look pretty cool. Um, you know, and I, I mentioned that I'm, I'm not a big, the reason I'm not a big fan of these plants is one is they're, they're, they're not a native plant. I'm super into native plants. I'm also not into plants that just are like for show. I'm really into like edible plants and I kind of got to get over that a little bit because plants have more purposes than just for me to eat. 
but I'm a little bit, they just kind of seem a little bit boring to me. They're just like, okay, let's put a hedge up. This is a hedge. Um, <laughs> but I have to think about ways I can, I can like appreciate it more. And one, one reason I appreciate it is I'm a beekeeper and the bees really love the, the nectar uh, in April. And uh, just like the rest of the, the prunus genus, like bees love it. And it has a ton of flowers because it's, it, it, those little racemes are covered with flowers. So it, like it can be a really great nectar source. So that's a really cool thing about it. Um, so let's see, what else do I have here? Okay, so like, oh, let's let's go to this. So I was, uh, another name for cherry laurel is English laurel. That's sometimes you'll hear it called English laurel. But it's not from England. It's actually from like uh, the Middle East. Um, but I found this this one reference that says, uh, I'm going to read it verbatim. I forget which website it is, but I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's about the history of this plant. And it says the Prunus lorocerasus. That's, I think, the right one. Prunus lorocerasus was introduced to the UK from Constantinople in 1576 by Clusius, who in turn received it from David Ungnad, the ambassador of the emperor of Constantinople. So some interesting botany guys there. This guy, Clusius, apparently was a French botanist, which I never, have you heard of Clusius? No, I, I haven't. He's, I, I hadn't either until I saw this, but he's one of those guys that should be up there with, you know, um, with Linnaeus. He should be one of the guys who's up there with Linnaeus and all those other guys, John Bartram, who I talked about before. Uh, he's a French botanist. Uh, he introduced the cherry laurel to the UK, and now it's so common there that it's called the English laurel. But also, he's apparently the guy who, like, laid the foundation for the Dutch tulip breeding industry. And also, no he is the guy who cultivated the potato in Europe. Um, so, kind of a rock star um, botanist. Uh, and he was doing lots of stuff with plants back in the day. Um, so, and then and then uh, the last thing about cherry laurel is, uh, is, and this is where I was going to talk about kind of, like, this medicinal use, but maybe not. Um, like many and maybe all members of the Prunus genus, it does contain in its seeds and, but cherry laurel in more parts, it does contain cyanogenic compounds. Yeah. So we've talked about those before with other plants. These are compounds that when they get digested in your body, they turn into cyanide and they can be very poisonous. Um, you know, they say you shouldn't eat peach pits, uh, because they have, uh, like in the pit, there is the cyanogenic compounds. Almonds have been bred over time to have that like compounds be less, but I think almonds are still like treated and you can break down some of those compounds by like roasting things. Um, but apparently cherry laurel has a lot more of that compound in it. And there is this thing that has been used in like traditional medicine that is called laurel water that is made from cherry laurel and it's like maybe in small doses, there's some medicinal effect, but it is still cyanide, hydrogen cyanide, uh, you know, uh, in the water. And I, it also is. So don't use it. But people have used it in the past as medicine. But also I found like references to like it being kind of a notorious poison. So I found a reference that says Nero, the emperor of Rome, used cherry laurel uh, to poison members of his family and others who displeased him. So um, it has been this famous poison. Um it, and uh, and so it, that's a pretty interesting thing about it. Um, and also because it's called laurel, it looks kind of like the bay laurel, which is the common laurel we hear we hear about, which is used in food. But there have been cases of people mistaking it for bay laurel and then using it in cooking and then giving themselves cyanide poisoning. So uh, be careful with the the English laurel. But something I need need to be aware about, you know. 
my plan with a laurel in my yard is to slowly replace it with other native things. But I, I at first when I w- got this house, I was like, I'm just going to cut all these down because these are like dumb. I don't want like this <laughs> just this, you know, I want to replace it with native stuff. But they have their purpose. They're doing a good job. They're great for the bees. I don't have anything to put there immediately, but I do eventually want to like slowly replace it. And maybe, yeah, I, yeah, that that's my plan. But in the meantime, I that they're they're a cool plant and they have this really cool history. Um, uh, I did read though they are apparently not on the east coast, but in the west coast they have become uh, invasive uh, because they kind of grow better over there. So I don't know if you, you you're you're in Colorado, right? Correct. Yeah. Um. I don't. I. I was reading more like California and Pacific Northwest, but I don't know if they have like made it to where you are. Um. But you might see them as like um, as hedges around. They're a pretty common hedge, and they have these big kind of laurel-like leaves. Perfect. Well, I'll have to keep my eye out for them. And a, a question about the cherry sure. laurel. I don't know if you if there was any information about this, but are there any uses for for the fruits? So apparently not, I guess, I mean, I guess you, well, you can make this laurel water, which here's the thing, plants like, like the Prunus genus and also uh, elderberry we talked about, they do not contain cyanide. Cyanide is uh, HCN, so hydrogen, carbon, triple bond to nitrogen, which is poisonous to humans uh, and most mammals, I believe, and maybe all animals. Um, They don't contain that compound, but they contain glycosides, which are molecules that when they are, when they are, uh, digested turn into cyanide in your body um Mm -hmm. but there are some ways that you can treat the plant so that those compounds break down in a way that they don't get metabolized into cyanide so when we talked about elderberry you always need to cook elderberries or ferment elderberries to destroy those glycosides so they don't and i guess some of the original idea with this laurel water is that that process happened and that's why it had some medicinal content but i think apparently with cherry laurel it's just harder and they they turn into um they turn into hydrogen cyanide easier and so there's another plant which is called bitter almond which is also in the same prunus genus it's not like almond it's bitter almond that is apparently better used for making this like uh extract but yeah i guess the the berries taste really bitter um because they're full of this stuff, and so they're they're not super useful. So they're more you know useful for the for the pollinators, um, and they look mm-hmm. nice. They're 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 nice. You know they start out red and then they kind of turn to turn black, um, and they are on these longer race teams. So they they do look nice, but I, as far as uses, uh, not much. I think I guess when they get big enough, the wood can be used to like carve things um, as a plant as far as uses, but not really any botanical uses. I, I like I did I did I did read some people saying using it in recipes but being very careful because of the cyanide and it's one of the things is like let's just not do that yeah. <laughs> um it's one of those things in the past where people are like well, okay and then, yeah audience don't do this but also there is the concept we've talked about on the show a lot with uh the uh the famous uh swiss botanist paracelsus who said the dose makes the poison right anything is poisonous if the dose is high enough and if the dose is low enough it's maybe not poison but but it's best not to mess around with cyanide <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, the more you know, I learned a new plant today. So <laughs> and, Awesome. Well, I did too. And thanks for sharing uh, about Mullen. And thanks for letting me share uh, Cherry Laurel with you. Appreciate it, Steve. My pleasure. Well, I'm just now walking in a little park around the corner from my house. And uh, I was inspired by Josh to finally download the iNaturalist app and give it a try. And so 
I was trying to find some mullein, but I actually think it's a little too early here for mullein to be visible. At least I don't know how to identify it if it's really small or if, it, or if it's even come up yet. Um, but I thought it'd be good to practice marking a different kind of potentially problematic plant. One we talked about in the previous episode of Rootbound, the Bradford pear. So I'm walking over to a Bradford pear that I know about. And I'm going to use the iNaturalist app to uh, mark it and that way uh, people will know and, and uh, we can get a you know better count of how many Bradford pears have taken over uh, this park. So uh, let's see how this works. I'm opening up my phone here and I've got the app on. It is located where I am and there is a big button at the bottom that says observe and that's what I want to do. And here's the Bradford pear. It is in bloom right now which is quite beautiful. It's actually maybe a calorie pear, not technically a Bradford pear because it's probably um, bit escaped to the wild. Um, let me smell these flowers and see if they smell terrible or if they smell good. Mm, they don't really smell like anything, but anyway. So I have opened up the reserve and it says to take a picture. So I'm going to take a picture of these beautiful but problematic calorie pear blossoms. And I'm going to use that photo. And then it says, what did you see? View suggestions. And then it uses that machine learning kind of technology to give you some suggestions. So it's loading suggestions uh, right now. And it says, it's probably pears, genus pyrus. Oh, yeah, it's probably the calorie pear. I'm going to choose that. Okay. And it's got my GPS. It's got the time and date. I'm going to say geoprivacy open so everyone can see where this is. And it is not captive or cultivated. And I'm going to add it to this project called Life in Alexandria, which is where I live, which is pretty cool. So with iNaturalist, people can add projects and you can kind of collect data with like people in your area. So I'm going to add this to the Life in Alexandria project. And. Here we go. I'm going to share the picture. Um, I don't really have any notes to say about this calorie pair, so I'm not going to say that. Oh man, the leaves are already coming out. I'm going to say that. Leaves are coming out now, about an inch long, flowers in full bloom. And I'm also going to add a picture of the leaves, actually. And there we go. Now I'm going to click share. And that has appeared on my map. My observation is there for people to see, and I've added a calorie pair to the map. So that's pretty cool. And that's the iNaturalist app try it out. I think it's a really cool thing. I think if you're into plants, you should try it. I should have been using it for a long time. And thanks again to Josh for inspiring me to start using this app. And I'm going to be keeping my eye out for some mullein to take pictures next to as well. So that's this episode of Rootbound. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on the next episode. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Josh Felton. Josh is a botanist and postback at Colorado College also has a great Instagram account called Botany Baller. Check it out and celebrate Monocot Monday with him. If you like Rootbound and you want to support the show, you can visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support. Rootbound is hosted by a man who also likes to take selfies with plants, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Krigaskota. Fake ads by David Lonnie. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside... Seek out the tallest mullein plant you can find, take a picture with it, and send it over to Josh. I think he'll enjoy it. Can't make it to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme can be enjoyed at home. The only herb blend endorsed by American folk duo Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel. It's a fun one. <laughs>